Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This current series of messages is on the book of Acts, showing its relevance for today as a pattern book for the operation of the Holy Spirit through the church. Be sure also to get a copy of Kevin's commentary on the book of Acts. Visit kevinconnor.org for details. Let's turn to Acts chapter 5. And we're going to be continuing in this term on the book of Acts. I want to read uh, verses 1 through to 14. And uh, we want to touch on the high spots in the chapter. We're going to try and sort of just uh, touch on the high spots in the chapter because uh, how many know the book of Acts is inexhaustible? All right, so Acts chapter 5, I'm reading from uh, Old King James tonight. Now, I do have 26 other translations, <laughs> but this one's still marked so good. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and bought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not in your own power? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, nice language, isn't it? And carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried your husband are at the door and shall carry you out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, uh, no man joined himself to them, but the people magnified them, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. Pray that the Lord will bless his word to our heart tonight. Now, what I want to do tonight, I want us to, uh, if you're taking down notes, we're just going to follow a very simple outline of Acts chapter 5 and uh, work through some of the main points on it here. So the first section which we've just read, Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through to 11, we have the first case of divine discipline in the early church. Now, let's just pick up some of our previous thoughts here. Um, and I'm very careful when I say amen on some things today. Sometimes I hear preachers say, and I have said it myself, but I've sort of got a little bit soft on it now. How many want to get back to the book of Acts? Yeah. Amen. But what I was thinking of was Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. I wasn't thinking of this chapter. I wanted to give that to the Jews. Anything you don't like, give it to the Jews or dump it in the millennium. 
So, you know, when you say, we're going to get back to the book of Acts, how many want to get to the book of Acts? One hand says yes, and the other hand says no, especially when it comes to this chapter. Now, I want you to notice uh, about four firsts we have in this chapter as we sort of look at the scene. We have the first mention of Satan in the book of Acts. First mention of Satan. Satan, fill thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. We have the first mention of the word deceive. We have the first mention of the word lie. You have not lied unto men, but you've lied unto God. And we have the first mention of money. So that's very significant. There are four significant words here in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 5. First mention of Satan, first mention of the word deceive, first mention of lie or liar, and first... Uh, uh, mention the word money and we find that these actually these four words are uh, often connected the very nature of Satan is he, he's a liar he's a deceiver and he's the adversary that's his very nature now let's just sort of look at the picture that we have here Acts chapter 1 as we've seen in our previous sessions the Lord Jesus Christ has ascended to heaven as the head of the church so he's gone back to the Father and he's seated at the right hand and we look through all those exciting events that took place in his ascension and uh, his glorification at the Father's right hand. Then Acts chapter 2, which we've seen is the most important chapter in the book of Acts and every New Testament church that, that arose out of the uh, church of Jerusalem uh, was built upon the foundation that was laid in that Acts chapter 2, the original outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the original Pentecost, the original message of Peter and the original use of the keys of the kingdom and as the Lord added to the church and uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Glorious chapter and then Acts chapter 2 as we saw 3,000 souls were saved and multitudes of men and women are being added to the church and then of course in Acts chapter 3 and 4 we have the miraculous healing of the man at the uh, uh, beautiful gate, the man who was lame for 40 years instant miracle of healing and uh, then the apostles being uh, brought before the Sanhedrin and then Peter's tremendous message and then we have that tremendous prayer meeting as they prayed and uh, the Lord confirmed the word with signs and wonders and the place was uh, shaken as they were praying they were filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, spake the word of God with boldness and the multitude of one heart and one soul and so now in the midst of all this glory the only opposition they've had is from without. But in the midst of the glory, Satan is sort of snooping around looking for an opportunity to get in where he can attack the church. And I still believe this, saints. I don't believe the enemy can de uh, destroy the church from without. He can destroy it from within. It's not the grub on the outside of the apple that's the problem, it's the grub inside the apple. And so if the enemy can't attack the church from without, He'll attack the church from within. And so, so far, in the midst of all this glory, 3,000 souls saved, 5,000 souls saved, multitudes of men and women, and just the glory of the Lord, and great grace and great power upon them all, people sharing together. In the midst of this, we start off this chapter, but. Always got to be some goat around, button, doesn't there? Now, I want you to notice the, the, the thing that happens here. This uh, sin here is over money, but if you're taking down notes, I'd like to mention some of the things that I have on my notes here because we're dealing with the first case of divine discipline in the book of Acts. So it's really important as we look at this, why, why was it so drastic? You know, I mean, it looked like it could come across, well, 
Peter could have uh, come across and people could have said, well, I'm leaving that church at Jerusalem. I'm going to go down to some other church. That guy's after your money. And uh, if you don't pay up, he strikes you dead. Wouldn't that be good news? Especially in the light of some of the BTOs. How many of you know what a BTO is? The big time operators that are falling today over the three G's, the gold, the girls, and the glory. Uh, but there was none of this in the early church. So something was very serious. So I want, to, want you to understand, first of all, what the sin was not and what it was and why the divine discipline was so drastic. So if you're taking down notes, you'll, from verse 2, 4, and 8, this is what we pick up. The sin was not in having land or having possessions. So there was nothing about that. Here, everybody, they had houses and lands and possessors of houses and lands. In verse 34 of chapter 4, uh, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and bought the prices of things that were sold. They laid them at the apostles' feet, not at Peter's feet. And distribution was made unto everyone according to their need. And, uh, and then we have Barnabas who had land and he sold it and bought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the sin was not in having possessions. Um, I better not get sidetracked on a few things, but when I was uh, married, I uh, told uh, my wife in those days that I would never, she'd never have a house. We just learned to sleep in a car. And she had to learn to rough it and tough it with me. Because it was a sin to have a house, it was a sin to have everything but a car. The Apostle Paul had a car, and uh, <laughs> um, because he had, that was his camel. So I had some horses, you know. So it was a false concept of consecration. So it's no sin in having a house, it's when the house has you. It's no sin in having possessions, it's when the possessions possess you. But if they belong to the Lord and Jesus come tonight, you can leave it all to the Antichrist to keep up the payments, whatever. <laughs> so the sin was not in having possessions. The sin also was not in selling the land for a certain piece of money. It was their property. So they could sell the money for whatever they liked, so the sin was not in selling the land for a certain piece of money, a certain amount of money. It was their property. And also the sin was not in refusing to give. No, was, no one was un, under compulsion to give. The spirit of grace and spirit of giving was upon them, so the sin was not in giving. Everything was free will offerings. And uh, also the sin was not in not giving at all. As, uh, as Peter said, look, when you, when you sold it and, uh, and you got the money, whilst it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? So you could do what you like with your possessions, your land. You could keep the money. There was no problem that. So there was no sin in that. What was the sin? The sin was in not keeping the vow or the promise that they'd promised to give all. That was the sin. Lying to the Holy Spirit. Why don't you put down a couple of scriptures here. We won't turn to them. Deuteronomy chapter 23. Because as you read through the passage we read here, it's evident that uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ananias and Sapphira had been in the bedroom or in their house and talked together and said, okay, we sold this man. You know, price of land here, we're not in recession. Uh, We've we got a lot of money for it. Everybody's given their money laying at the apostles' feet. Why don't you and I just sort of, just keep it between ourselves and just, you know, we'll give so much. 
Uh, people don't need to know what was kept for a rainy day. Uh, so they connived this whole thing together in the room. That was the sin. But the Lord heard it. So Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21 to 23. And also Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. Both those scriptures talk about when you make a vow or when you make a promise to the Lord that you are to keep it. And that which is gone out of your mouth, the Lord hears it and you are to keep it. So the Lord heard it. They didn't think anybody else had it and nobody else had it. It was just agreeing between themselves. So the sin was in agreeing, conniving and conspiring together to keep back apart. And as you see the thing and meditate on it, it was deliberately planned. The whole thing was deliberately planned. And they would wrongfully appropriate the money. That was the thing. So it, the sin was in acting a lie. Note the, note the words that are used in verse 3 and 4 and 9. So in verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie or to deceive, the margin says, to lie or to deceive the Holy Spirit? How many know that you can't deceive the Holy Spirit? You can deceive yourself, you can deceive others, you can't deceive the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 4, he says, Why have you conceived? So we have the whole thought of conception. Why don't you turn over to uh, a verse we use in uh, systematic theology, but James chapter 1, turn over to James chapter 1. Whole thought of conception. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied unto men, but unto God. <coughs> James chapter 1 and verse 12, or no, verse 13 through to 15. James 1 verse uh, 13 to 15. It says here, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when? When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, that bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You'll notice the, the order of the words. Why don't we put it down here? So, first of all, we have in this what I refer to as the, the, the process of temptation under sin. We have the seed thought. So, Satan put the thought. And when Paul, or I mean James, pardon me, when James and Peter here, they're using the whole thought of conception, and, and I speak this reverently here, but uh, in, in, in the conception of a child, that's what they're using. So we have the seed thought, and then of course in the, in the union of a husband and wife, the male supplies the seed. So Satan put the seed thought into the mind. And then of course the female supplies the egg or the ovum, so we'll put down here, and unless this seed unites with that, there's no conception. But when that which the male supplies and that which the female supplies unites, then there's conception. And so Satan put the seed thought here because he's the father of lies. He's a liar. But you see there was a response, lust, in Ananias and Sapphira. And lust simply means uh, inordinate desire. So there was an evil desire. Wow, money. Look how much we got for the land. So this seed thought from the father 
of lies, Satan, because the seed comes from the, the male, there was a response in their heart as the mother. And so we have this next word that's used here is why have you conceived? So conception took place. Why have you conceived? And then James, he follows the thing through. Listen to the language again. So every man is tempted when? When he is drawn away of his lust and enticed, baited, the Greek thought is there, baited along like a fish, he's baited by a worm. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. So we have the birth of sin, and the sin was in lying to the Holy Spirit. It was a multiple sin, actually, the sin of conniving and agreeing together, lying to the Holy Spirit, given the false impression that they're laying all at the apostles' feet like everybody else did, and the end result was death. And that happens in every one of our hearts, my heart, your heart, the process of temptation under sin. So we have to watch the thoughts the seed thoughts that Satan puts in our mind and pray, Lord, may there be nothing in me that responds to this. As somebody said, you can't stop thoughts coming into your mind or as someone said, you can't stop the birds flying over your head but you can stop them building a nest in your hair. Okay, so none of us are exempt from these things, not even me. I'm a human being, so we have to watch this and take this reverently here. See, in the union of the male and the female, if there is no egg or ovum there, what happens to the seed? It dies. So I say, Lord, these seed thoughts, because I get bad thoughts sometimes, believe it or not. I get thoughts from God, I get thoughts from myself, I get thoughts from the devil. We all do. I say, Lord, may there be nothing in me that responds to that, that these seed thoughts that may be from Satan or self die and not conceive in my heart. How many see what I'm saying here? So I didn't hear. Okay, go back to Acts. So he says, why, has, why have you conceived this in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And so the end result was lust conceived and then it brought forth, bringeth forth sin and the end wages of sin is death and that's exactly what happened. So uh, the sin, as I said, uh, was in acting a lie, giving a lying impression that they were giving all. The sin was in attempting to deceive the Holy Spirit and the ministry it was not a sin of ignorance, but a sin of presumption. It's very interesting here that uh, the first sin in the early church was over money. Why don't you take down a few of these thoughts that we uh, use in another class. Um, but I'll read it off my notes here. The Gospels contain more warnings against money and its misuse than any other subject. One in every four verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke deals with money. So one in every four verses, Matthew, Mark, and Luke deal with money. One in every six verses in the New Testament as a whole deals with or makes reference to money in some way. So think of that, you know, the Gospels contain more warnings against money as misuse than any other subject. One in every four verses in Matthew, Mark and Luke deal with money. One in every six verses in the New Testament uh, has some reference to money. Uh, and also, also, this is interesting, almost half of the parables of Jesus have reference to money in one way or another. And particularly warnings against covetousness. And then listen to some of those that uh, fell over money. Why don't you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 here. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
What did Judas fall over? Money. He sold Christ out for money he never lived to spend. And the same language is used of Judas that Satan put into the heart of Judas the thought. Satan having put into the heart of Judas the thought. So there was this seed thought and the response there. So he sold Christ out for money he never lived to spend. Uh, the first sin in the early church was over money. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7 and 10. 7 to 10. For we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. For they that will be rich fall into temptation. Why have you agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Lie to the Holy Spirit. So they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and to, into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, do you notice it doesn't say that money is the root of all evil? How many know that money is a necessary evil? For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So the love of money. So exactly what happened to Judas, exactly what happened. So the first sin in the early church was over money. And also Acts chapter 8, when we get to the sin of Simon, or simony as it's called, concerning money, when he said, you know, give me, he offered them money that he could buy from them the power to lay hands on people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is an interesting thing, that there's two words in the New Testament whose Greek numerical value equals 666. And you know what these two words are? Wealth and tradition. Wealth and tradition, two New Testament Greek words that equal in numerical value 666. So robbing God, so lying to the Holy Spirit. Now, just a couple of other thoughts we want to move on. As we study this passage, back to Acts chapter 5 here, there's four things I want you to note what it, what it uh, tells us about the Holy Spirit. So Peter didn't know. What happens to Peter when, when uh, Ananias and Sapphira comes? Operation of the gifts of the Spirit. What does Peter get? What's, uh, what operation of the gift is there there? A word of knowledge. They're not a word of prophecy. Thus saith the Lord, thou art a twerp, you know, nothing like that. It's a word of knowledge. Covered earnestly the best gift. That was the best gift there. So, a word of knowledge. So, the Holy Spirit. Now, four things about the Holy Spirit that we note here. You'll notice the Holy Spirit's in, mentioned in verse 3. Lying to the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 9, tempting the Spirit of God. All right, what does this show us about the Holy Spirit? It reveals the personality of the Holy Spirit. You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. And when they lie to God, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. So it reveals the personality of the Holy Spirit. The second thing, it reveals the omniscience of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows all things. And, uh, you know, the thing that's used here is great fear. Great fear fell on the church. Great fear. How many... How many realize that if we were more conscious of the, of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we would be more careful what we say in the bedroom? Because the Holy Spirit's there. So the Holy Spirit is omniscient. He knows all things. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. So he was there when Sapphira and Anais were discussing and conniving this thing. And not only is the Holy Spirit omnipresent, he's omniscient, he's uh, omnipresent. How many know he's omnipotent? Because uh, did Peter strike them, strike them dead? 
No, it was divine discipline. It was a sin worthy unto death. Now, as I said, you know, if we were really back to the book of Acts, how many know we would, might be having a lot of funerals? Uh, I'm not sure that I want the power of the Holy Spirit to come too fast, too soon into, into Waverly Christian Fellowship uh, at the moment. What do you reckon? I'd like Acts 1 through to 4, but 5, just hang on a moment, Lord, till we get rid of all the liars. Uh, no, 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 no. Um, hmm. But how many know we're going to get back to that? Great fear. So the omnipotence of the Holy Spirit because the, the uh, divine discipline was death on uh, Ananias and Sapphira. So we have great warnings there. Now let's go down to the next part of the chapter. So first case of divine discipline and I believe the reason that the Holy Spirit stepped into this situation. You just think in the, in the early glory and the power of the early church, what is here that we, we haven't come into yet, saints. We're after it, we haven't come into it, but when you think of the power of the Holy Spirit and the signs and wonders that are being done here, apostolic ministry, 3,000, 5,000, you know, multitudes of men and women and lame being healed, I mean, the power of the Holy Spirit, the glory of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit had allowed this lie to get past, what else do you think would have crept in the church? if the Holy Spirit had allowed them to get away with this. But I believe that he was wanting to keep the church pure because where there's purity, there's power. And I always feel concerned about these things. I like songs we sing and that, but sometimes are we guilty of singing lies to the Lord? All to Jesus I surrender, but not this. And we sing nice tunes, but singing lies to the Holy Spirit, it's really making me check up on things. Lord, help me to be honest to God. We want to get back to the early glory of the early church and some of the prophetic word that's come to us as a body. Really. So I believe the Lord stepped in because if he had allowed this to get away, who knows what else would have got in. And eventually he did, sorry to say. All right, now the second part here, verses 12 to 16. Uh, if you've got your Bible open there, Acts 4 and 5, I've circled verse 33, two expressions, and verse 5 and verse 11. Listen to them. Verse 33 of 4 says, with great power, everybody says great power, great power, and then great grace, everybody say great grace, and then in verse 5, great fear, and verse 11, great fear. So I've, I've, I've linked those here. Great power, great grace, great fear. Not just power, not just grace, not just fear, Great power, great grace, great fear. Now, if I had been living in the early church, I probably would have been scared because this thing must have ran around Jerusalem. Wow, don't join the church. Get back into the synagogue. In the synagogue, everything's decent and in order and dead. Uh, there's no death there. They just read out the scriptures of the prophets and as long as you don't sweat on the Sabbath, you're right. But don't join that church at Jerusalem. It has a bad name. If you don't cough up your money and pay your tithes and offerings, they strike you dead. I like what it says. By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people and they were all with one accord. 
And uh, King James uses two words here in verse 13 and 14. Of the rest, dare no man join himself to them, but believers were the more added to the Lord. They didn't join, they were added. We're saying in our class tonight that you can't join Waverly Christian Fellowship. You can't join the church like joining a club. You have to be added to the Lord, then added to the church. Everybody said amen. Verse 15 is interesting here in the signs and wonders that uh, uh, they brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches, so at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Like that word overshadowed. Anybody remember where that word was used in the Gospels? The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and the word was made flesh. The overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. So that is great power, great grace that Peter's just walking along the street and just his shadow hasn't got time to pray in a sick line, a fast line or a slow line but as his shadow people here that is great power that's great power remember when my brother-in-law was in Africa in the early days which you've been hearing a little bit about recently and William Branham was in Africa and when the angel appeared to him and the power of God was so great there were so many thousands of people to be healed and he couldn't minister them. So they anointed a bush with oil and as people passed by and touched the bush, they were healed. As we've said, these things rise and fall. But I believe the Lord wants us to get back to that, don't you? Peter overshadowing, multitude bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed, everyone. Well, it's quite evident that when Jesus was here and the twelve were here in the Gospels, he didn't heal everybody because there's still a bunch of people here that are being healed. All right, now, so we have signs and wonders. Uh, verses 17 through to 33, interesting. We find that the high priest, and this never fails to amaze me, the high priest rose up and all the, uh, the sect of the Sadducees. Now, it's interesting as we remember that the Sadducees didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in the bodily resurrection, and they didn't believe in spirit. So here's this unbelieving modernist they are, representing there, the high priest. Now, you see, we just sort of read that, but we've got to continually sort of get in the background. I'm not sure what the high priest's name here, whether it's the same one, but if it was the high priest, Caiaphas or Annas, uh, they had been there at the crucifixion of Jesus, condemned him to death. Uh, they had been there and heard about the veil of the temple being rent from top to bottom. Uh, they'd been there when the resurrection news spread around and the high priest and the priests of the temple paid the soldiers large sums of money to say that Jesus were not risen. Very difficult to explain why the grave clothes were left there, but they took his body out and left the grave clothes. Quite marvellous lie, that one. And now here they are again, high priest, just hopping mad that the ministry of Jesus is continuing full scale. Though Jesus has gone back to heaven. They don't know where he is. They don't believe it. So the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, they're very agitated with the disciples for preaching Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in angels. So what happens in verse 18 and 19? They laid their hands on the apostles, plural. So I would assume the 12 apostles and put them in the common prison. And so just to spite the Sadducees, who turns up in verse 19? An angel. Very one they didn't believe in. The angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, brought them out and said, go and stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. So when they heard that, they entered into the temple. 
And as you go through the story, it must have been uh, embarrassing because uh, in the morning they came to the high priest and the council and all the senate. So you've got the whole lot of them there, the high priest, the they call the council together, all the senate of the children of Israel, and they say, okay, bring the prisoners out. And when they go to the prisoners, they find all the guards standing there. And when they open the prison, there's not a person there. Now, have you thought of that miracle? Now, it's going to be a little bit different later on because Peter's going to get rescued out of prison. But how did the angel go into the prison and get 12 apostles out without disturbing anybody? And how did they get past all those guards who are still standing there guarding an empty prison? How many think God's got a sense of humour? <laughs> that means they all must have been made invisible. And they're just ordinary people like you and I. How'd you like to be made invisible? That would be fun, wouldn't it? You just disappear and appear, you know, so forth. And then uh, they, 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 they must have made them disappear. And uh, it doesn't say in this case that he opened the, well, it does, he opened the prison doors. And uh, how did they all get by those guards? That, that's, a, that's a great miracle. And verse 23 says, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. How'd you like to have been a prison guard there? That must have been interesting, mustn't it? And so the news came and said, Well, we found all the people you'd put in prison. They're standing in the temple. So from the prison escape to temple ministry, and they're preaching in the name of the Lord. And... Uh, when they bring them again before the high priest, you'll notice the high priest said, Did not we, in verse 28, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? They didn't even like to use the name of Jesus, but this name. And behold, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now you'll notice Peter's answer in verse 29, because there is a time to disobey religious authorities and take the consequences. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So he just, in a very short sermon, because he didn't have much time, told about the death of Jesus, hung on a tree, the resurrection of Jesus, God has raised up Jesus, told about the exaltation of Jesus, verse 31, him has God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a saviour, and told him the whole purpose. So you'll notice there's sort of four basic or five basic things in Peter's very short message. He didn't have much time. The death of Jesus, he hung on a tree. Resurrection of Jesus, God raised up Jesus. Uh, the exaltation of Jesus, God has exalted him to his right hand to be a prince and saviour. And then the, the, end, uh, the purpose of that is to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Repentance precedes forgiveness. And number five, we are witnesses of these things and the Holy Spirit who God gives to them that obey him. Pretty short sermon, but uh, very packed and what it would mean to them. I like what it says in verse 34. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And I think the Amplified says, they were excessively irritated. How many think that's good Holy Ghost conviction? Excessively irritated, cut to the heart. 
and took counsel to slay them. How many see the absolute religious blindness here that here's the high priest and all the, the, uh, the Sanhedrin and the council and they've seen notable miracles, they've seen people being healed by the shadow and, and, and then the angel rescuing them out of prison. Yet in spite of that, they're going to kill them. I mean, there's no religious blindness, no blindness like religious blindness. Absolute religious blindness. Now, I like what we have in verse 34 through to 39. We have a word of wisdom from a Pharisee, uh, Gamaliel, in verse 34. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. So then he goes into two men here, Thutis, who he boasted to be somebody and how about 400 joined themselves to him and, uh, as me, and eventually he was slain and as many who obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught and then there was Judas of Galilee. Uh, he had a lot of people after him and uh, when he died, then everybody was dispersed and here's his word of wisdom, verse 38. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. And I believe that was a real word of wisdom. How many believe, how many believe that? Real word of wisdom. Okay, if it's God, uh, don't fight against it. If it's not of God, it'll fall to pieces in due time. Okay? But it was of God. And then the end of the book is, or the end of this chapter is verse 40 and 41. To him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them. I, I, thought, I think these guys just thought, well, we're going to give them a good hiding anyway on the way out. Marvelous. And what were they, what were they giving them a hiding for? What were they beating them for? What had they done? Heal people? An angel got them out of prison? The guards didn't? You know, what, what are they beating them for? Religious leaders. They commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And I like what uh, Brother Kenyon says, if Jesus was a dead man, then a dead man's name has no power. But Jesus gave them his name and backs up his name, the power of his name, because the, uh, the, the Jews have a saying about the name of God that his name is himself and himself is his name, that the name represents the person. So Jesus in heaven was backing up the power of his name. And the end result is, they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. Now how many think you could really do that? As I, as I read this, I even challenge my own heart. If I was really beaten and given the laying on of hands further down, would I really go out rejoicing? Well, they did, because Jesus said you would be persecuted and counted all joy. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You'll notice the whole emphasis in the chapter is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power that's in his name. Let's finish on verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. I'd like you to notice just as we finish our session here, the three references to this balance between the temple and the house, or what we refer to as the corporate gathering and the smaller home gathering. Acts chapter 2, it's used three times in the book of Acts, the temple and the house. Acts chapter 2, 
and verse 46 and they continuing daily you'll notice the emphasis on daily there the Lord added to the church daily exhort one another daily daily in the temple and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness then Acts chapter 5:42, and daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ and they go way over to Acts chapter uh, where Paul is testifying and what he says Acts chapter uh, 20 Acts chapter 20 so three times in the book of Acts we have this expression this combination in the temple and then house to house so Acts chapter 20 and verse 20 Paul says the same thing years later and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you but have showed you and have taught you publicly so the public meeting and from house to house so in our fellowship here the temple represents the corporate gathering when we gather on Sunday in our corporate gatherings but the house to house represents what we call now life care groups the smaller group and so in the early church I see there's a balance between the temple gathering the corporate gathering but then house to house fellowship and so I believe that's the balance and what happens in many churches some are going all this way and say oh we don't believe in corporate gathering let's just have little house churches only but then others go this way and say just let's have a big meeting no we need both we need the temple gathering and then we need the house to house gathering because if something happens in in the life care groups and the smaller fellowship that doesn't happen in the corporate but how many know there's something that happens in the corporate that doesn't happen in the house we need both and so I believe there was just beautiful balance as the ministry continued in the early church all right we'll finish our session tonight let's all stand well, let's close in a word of prayer father we just thank you again for the privilege we have of gathering on our action electives and sharing in your inexhaustible word and father as we have looked at Acts chapter 4 we just pray Lord that you'll bring uh, to us a greater sense of your presence and a greater consciousness Lord of the uh, omnipresence omniscience and omnipotence of the Holy Spirit God that you'll help us to be clear and clean before you and walk transparently before you and Lord that upon Waverly Christian Fellowship will come great power and great grace and great fear God as you continue to work in our midst and the prophetic word that's come to us over these number of days help us to walk in the fear of the Lord day by day Lord so that there will be a release of your great power and great grace amongst us God we ask this in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said Amen God bless you be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.